today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. As we told you on the program yesterday, Stats Canada has released the final economic numbers for 2020, and, uh, well, to nobody's surprise, they're awful. Uh, uh, but as Global's David Aiken reports, the economy, of course, has never contracted so much as it did in this past year. But as David says, it's not all bad news. There are signs that things are looking up. Those government transfers, like the CERB and the wage subsidy, helped individual Canadians replace lost income especially among lower-income Canadians, so much so that the gap between rich and poor in Canada actually got smaller. Canadians also banked nearly six times more of their income than they did in pre-pandemic times. And that means plenty of pent-up demand that can help the economy recover faster and quicker in 2021 and beyond. The key question is whether that bump that we are going to see would be sufficient to take us back to pre-COVID levels. And that is not clear. Well, uh, it's, I guess, mixed bag of news here, but I mean, that, that last part I find very intriguing. So what is this recovery going to like look like? And, and uh, when is it going to start, I guess, is the more obvious question. Uh, joining us is Peter Hall. Peter is the Vice President and Chief Economist with Export Development Canada. Peter, thank you for the time. Uh, good to have you with us today. Uh, you weren't. You weren't surprised by the numbers from StatsCan, I guess, were you, Peter? No, absolutely not, uh, Bill. And, you know, um, lest I sound arrogant, uh, the reason for that is that they're really dated numbers. Uh, Let's remember that the economy tanked back in March and April of last year. And so the contraction is really the oldest news uh, around uh, when we're talking about 2020. And um, not trying to put a particular shine on things at all, but they're you know, in, in May and June, that's when the bulk of the recovery that we are now seeing actually happened. Um, and then after that, of course, there was a great flattening out. Um, so we're at 97% of pre-COVID levels of activity right across the economy uh, at the moment. But it's closing that 3% gap and then getting on to the growth that we would have had uh, had COVID not occurred. That's the real challenge at the moment. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, for those that are saying, well, when's the recovery going to begin? It already did, really. I mean, I can say we're, we're, we've kind of hit the pause button for a little while, but there were some pretty positive signs already. And uh, I, I saw a pie chart the other day uh, about uh, the real uh, GDP for numbers here in, in some of these industries, as you said, from where they were previously. Uh, and most of these have dropped off 3 or 4%, like 97% for uh, agriculture, mining and oil and gas. Agriculture said 110%, but we're growing more stuff and buying more stuff uh the, the the usual ones and the ones that are pretty obvious i guess uh, peter are the accommodation of food and arts and entertainment sectors of course uh have, have taken the biggest hit on this but the the fact that we have money in our pockets and money in the bank and we're dying to spend it tells me that when those doors open again we're, we'll be there absolutely Bill. you know what's what's fascinating about all of this is that the bulk of the economy had a v-shaped recovery and that's probably the best thing that you could have hoped for so when we look at consumer spending on goods um in the retail sector which is one of the ones that you know people really like to dump on two months down two months right back up to pre-covid levels of activity and that was the fastest thing that happened in the economy and we've been growing off that level uh, ever since the more recent lockdowns have compromised those numbers. Let's not get too fussed by that because, you know, they've, they haven't plunged back down to where they, they were before. Well, if that's the case and you have that much economic resilience uh, out there, then that speaks to the fundamentals of the economy. Now, over this period of the V, 
uh, we actually had the bulk of the accumulation of all that savings money that's uh, in in direct de- uh, demand deposits. Now, people don't put money in demand deposits if they're wanting to invest it because the return is pretty much zero. So that's money that you're intending on spending. And you spend it when you feel good about things, fully good about things. Well, that's what we can look forward to in the next few months. You know, as vaccines are rolled out, as herd immunity takes off, goodness, you know, the COVID theories that we are seeing at the moment are in their greatest freefall that we have seen since the pandemic actually began. So put those three things together. And I believe that we are seeing the preconditions for a wave of spending. More are talking about it now. But this is something that's actually been obvious for quite a while. So I think we've, we, we can legitimately and, and quite realistically say that we have a wave of activity that's coming and fewer prepared for it. Why are we so buoyant here? I mean, is, is it the government interventions? Is the fact that they were putting money into people's pockets in, in, in this, in, in those troubled times, especially, uh, that, that, you know, maybe helped keep consumer confidence, if not at record levels, but at least, at least, you know, we were treading water and we were still, we were still able to partake in the economy. Well, Bill, I think it's, um, you know, certainly the stimulus was necessary to bridge the gap uh, over the chasm. And most of that, you know, chasm is back up again. Two things I want to say about that is that over that period of time, most people still had their jobs. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to, you know, wave over, you know, a magic wand over, over those who lost their jobs. That was tragic. And many people are still trying to find their jobs back. But most people have their jobs and most people have, that lost their jobs have actually got them back. They simply have less to spend on right now. And that's the money that's accumulating. But, you know, when you look at it on industry by industry basis, not every industry is doing the same. You know, this is no aggregate V-shaped recovery. This is a K-shaped recovery. You've got businesses that are on the upper arm of the K that are doing just fine. You've got businesses that are way down the bottom end of that. You list them off, accommodation and food, um, you know, the, the, the whole uh, hospitality uh, sector, just devastated, arts and entertainment, uh, way down in the chasm uh, right now. And then you've got a variety of experiences all in between that. Well, there are many businesses that are really going to need to pick the pieces up. Um, I'm actually a firm believer that for those who are survivors down in the chasm there, their greatest days are ahead of them because, you know, when people start traveling again, when they start commuting again, when they start going to concerts and um, hockey games and stuff like that again, you know, this is all going to happen. Well, there's a whole segment of the economy that is going to rush back in an awful hurry and uh, so those are perhaps the greatest plays out there uh, remaining in the economy right now i mean we invariably i guess it's human nature that we compare what we're going through now to past uh, downturns economic downturns or even recessions Uh, and it's it's not really a fair comparison i guess because first of all the cause of this uh was not economic it was it was a health issue that, that obviously had an impact on this but What's missing out of this, from my standpoint, what I see anyway, Peter, is the, the trepidation by consumers, you know, to, to get back in there and start partaking in the economy and spending money. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any hesitancy at all here for us to, as you say, we're doing it within the, the confines of what we're allowed to do right now, but we're just dying to get back into those restaurants and the movie theaters and, and hopefully the ballparks. Uh, I, and I guess 
maybe the the catalyst for that and and the thing that's making us feel good about this is is the fact that there's a vaccine we feel as if hey you know we don't need to be nervous when once they open the doors again we're going to be okay well bill the best measure of what consumers are going to do when all of these things open up again is what they're doing with the things that they can spend their money on right now and when you look at auto sales they're through the roof yeah and you know when, when, you know, speaking of roofs, you know, roofs are being put on more houses right now uh, that are being built because there's such appetite for that. Now, you know, think about that. Cars and homes are not the thing that you spend on when you're nervous about the future. That's exactly. the last thing that you are going to actually cough up your hard-earned money on. You're going to hold back on those kinds of lumpy purchases as much as you can if you think there's no tomorrow. Like, you're just going to buy gold or you're going to store it in your bank account or what have you. But part of that cash stash that is actually being piled up is being spent on the least likely things. Well, that's the greatest indicator to me that when those other things open up, we're going to be piling in there in a real big way. Well, because in the, in the past, uh, as, as I've talked to guys like you that try to school me on, on what we should be looking for with economic trends, uh, they use the real estate market or the auto market as, as the, the canaries in the coal mine. Okay, if they're down, we got problems going on here. Uh, real estate's off the map here. That just blew me away. I thought, you know, there's got to be a slowdown there. Uh, the average price, of the, we just got the info on this this morning, the average price of a house in Hamilton now is over $850,000. And the market's just going nuts. And it's not just Hamilton it's happening all over the place I mean that's stuff that you didn't expect to see happen no absolutely not nobody would have predicted that uh, that this would be the case but what's underneath all of that it's a fundamentally strong economy and you know folks can't be blamed for being cynical about a statement like that because frankly we spent most of the post-global financial crisis period trying to convince ourselves that there was an economy uh, to go back to. I mean, the growth was very tepid over that period of time. Now, you know, this interview doesn't uh, isn't long enough for me to actually get into an explanation of the whys and wherefores of that. But, you know, that is not the economy that we brought into this downturn. This was a special factor that hit a fundamentally strong economy broadside. And, you know, if if we can actually, you know, resume where it is that we were before and there's there's no good reason for me to believe that that won't happen. Well, you know, then then we're back to what we were doing before. And uh, most people, you know, they remember the global financial crisis. The economy went down and it took years for it to even come back to some semblance of what it was uh, before. So most people you know, that are around right now, they that's their experience. And they think that that's what always happens. And, you know, I'm here to say that this is a very different set of circumstances. And if we just let the economy come back, it's going to do a pretty good job of it all on its own. Yeah, and I, I don't want our listeners to get the impression that we're, you know, trying to short shift this and say, hey, this is really no big deal. It is a big deal. We get that. It's a huge deal. Uh, you know, it, but but I, I don't see the, the the scars that we saw from past recessions. You know, and you're absolutely right. I think you know the, the 0809, people lost their jobs altogether. Uh, even you know, and and in some cases they lost their life savings too because pension plans were impacted by that. I mean, a lot of people took a big big hit out of that thing. Uh, but I guess the big difference here, Peter, is we still have money, uh, whether it's because of government programs or, as you say, because a number of businesses are actually doing quite well through this whole thing. So the, the, we still have disposable income and we're willing and, and able to spend it and that that's that's a huge step up i mean you know if, to, to use the baseball analogy i mean when we want to get back into the 
the game here. Uh, we're already on second base and, and heading for third right now. We don't have to start a, 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 this whole thing from square one. We're in pretty good shape for, when it comes to, to the tools we need to be participants in the economy again. Yeah, one of the things that worries me about this is, is our psychology in tune with the reality of the marketplace right now? And, you know, if it's not, I don't point fingers at anybody, really. Um, you know, it is devastating to go through something like this. Our lives have changed. You know, the frustration levels inside of the economy because of our confinement and our inability to do things that, you know, a year ago we just took for granted. Um, you know, that that has a massive impact on our collective thinking. And in a lot of ways, we're never going to be different. We're never going to be the same. You know, we're, we're, this is going to remain something that's just branded onto our psyche uh, in the future. And we might be a little bit more tentative, you know, when uh, something like this looms up again, you know, even if it's just a rumor uh, because, because of that effect. Um, but, um, you know, that, that is one thing the fundamental strengths of the economy or the other. And the difficulty with psychology is it can actually become self-fulfilling. And that would maybe be one of the greatest dangers inside of this, that we, you know, we're so marked and perhaps scarred by this, that, um, that we have, we have a greater than normal hesitancy in terms of, in terms of getting back in. But that wasn't the consumer that we saw back in, in May and June last year, Bill, you know, it, we were raring to go. We were we were right back into this thing, and um, you know those parts of the economy that can function properly right now, they are functioning properly. Um, you know we loosen the restrictions on the other ones, and um, I think they're going to do exactly the same. When we have rampant spending like we're anticipating is probably going to happen uh, when we start to get on, on better footing here because of the, the vaccines and everything, uh, that can fuel inflation, and the Bank of Canada has a propensity to step in in stages like that and look at interest rates. Uh, I'm, I'm hearing from some folks I've talked to up in Ottawa, Peter, that uh, they've pretty much got assurances. I go, nothing is carved in stone here, that the Bank of Canada is not going to do anything silly like starting to raise interest rates, uh, e- even if we do maybe spend a little bit more than, than we probably should be uh this is not the time or the place i would think to start putting restrictions on that yeah that's a that's an obsession that's a question that uh you know people are really debating uh right now and it's a it's a legitimate one to think about because you know we have seen a ramp up in certain base commodities we have uh, seen a ramp up in shipping costs um and there are some other sort of short-run uh pricing issues house prices are a reflection of that as well so Mm -hmm. people put these things together and say oh my goodness you know where are we headed here what's actually going on well underneath it all we lost so much economic capacity when covid hit and we're still trying to uh, bridge that divide uh, at the moment and that capacity you know that's pretty fresh capacity so when we actually want uh to get back in and use that um, that's the thing that keeps prices from uh, from ramping up. If we have short-run price increases that are happening at the moment, it's reflected by a couple of different things. One, different economies are coming on at a, at, with different timing. China was out of the gate way ahead of everybody else. And so, you know, China ramps up, starts exporting again. All the containers go over the world, and there's nothing to come back because economies are shut down. So we have enough containers. They're just in all the wrong places. So container prices are skyrocketing at the moment. They've tripled in the last few weeks. 
And, um, you know, they're at unthinkable heights at the moment. It's hard to actually find a ship to move things around the world. But, you know, is there enough capacity? Absolutely, there is. You know, our, we've been operating at lower levels of economic activity. So, you know, the, the ships are there, the containers are there, the copper is there, and so on and so forth. It's just a question of getting things going again. And so that happens, you know, when you have a short, sharp shutdown in the economy, it's very painful, but it's easy to turn things off, not so easy to turn things back on again. So there are indications out there that are pretty powerful that say, this is going to be a short run increase in prices. And central banks are quite fine with that. They don't have to fine tune the economy when it's happening in a very abbreviated uh, part of time. When they when it starts getting wired into expectations, that's that's when they uh, start moving the levers, and we're a long way from that right now. Exactly. Uh, as always, Peter, great to get your perspective on this and to make some sense out of all these numbers. Thanks so much for this today. Pleasure to be with you again, Bill. Take care. Peter Hall, of course, Vice President and Chief Economist with uh, Export Development Canada. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.